Welcome to the I Run Podcast, powered by Booster Juice, a juice and smoothie bar dedicated to providing you with the premium smoothie experience. Stop in today and grab a smoothie and a bite to eat. For a location near you, visit BoosterJuice.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us once again this week. Ray Zahab is with me, co-hosting once again this week from Impossible to Possible, I Run's runner-in-chief. Hello, Ray. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. How's the running been going lately? The running has been great. It's been super busy. I mean, you know, training like crazy and, uh, you know, running. I've been on the fat bike a lot this year, as you know. Because yeah, we talked about it a couple Arctic. of weeks ago. Yeah. 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 So, and it's, uh, helped, it's helped your running. It has quite a bit. I mean, yeah. it's, really, it's amazing. It's one of those things, right, where you, you say to yourself, you can't believe it. And, uh, you know, but it really, it's, I mean, it's one of those principles, the cross-training principle, I guess, you know, but it's, it, it was like not planned that way. I just sort of, you know, it just sort of happened. Yeah. So, anyhow. So, when you go, you're right? cross training, when you, and I, because you coach athletes as well, uh, so I, this is a good question for you and for our listeners to, to kind of uh, get some insight from you on this. Uh, when you're cross training, do you run less? No. Well, it's, I'm a bad example of that. You know, I would say for myself, it's different. You know, I'm, sure. I, I just added mountain biking to what I do because it was fun, you know? Yeah. Um, but because you're you know, almost, I mean, let's, let's face it. You're, I know you do lots of other things, but you're almost in the category of being a full-time athlete because of the, the volume of training you have to do to be ready for some of the expeditions you do. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm training all the time, but you know, for my clients at this time of year, a lot of them, what I'm doing and, and I have a small pool of clients that I work with, but I've worked with hundreds of people over the years and it's always been this time of year for our, especially the ultra runners and the people that are taking on you know, longer distance races in the summer is to include some snowshoe running, um, you know, at this time of year to build strength. It's, it, we, where we live, we live in a four-season climate, so we can take advantage of that. And, you know, snowshoe running is a great way um, to, uh, you know, activate your core. Uh, it builds tremendous strength and power. Uh, so, you know, it's something that, uh, that works. And so I've been, you know, been using that and with, uh, with them for years and myself as well. I mean, you know, yeah. in, in sort of this quote unquote off season, cause I'm not, I'm not a skier, right. But I love the snowshoe run. And now, uh, the fat tire mountain biking, uh, where we live, Gatineau park has opened up some official trails so you can get out there and, um, and it's difficult. It's really hard to do, especially when there's fresh snow. But I've been thinking about my own, training and the fact that I run typically six days a week and and I run a lot and I'd like to do other things I'd like to ride my bike a little bit I'd like to maybe play some tennis I'd like to do other stuff I don't really want to give up running but at the same time I only have so much time in a week to devote to working out and so I'm kind of at this crossroads of saying okay can I still do what I want to do as a runner by running four or five times a week instead of six and then instead of running on a couple of days, then maybe I ride my bike or I do something something else. And I, I just think eventually that that's probably going to be where I get to because I want to have a little more balance in my life and not just be a one-dimensional athlete, you know? Well, and I believe that you are correct. I, you know, I honestly, I, I think that if you do that, your running will only improve in the sense of... Um, you know, your, 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 the mental aspect for starters, right? It's fresher all the time. You're more, you're looking forward to those runs. You know, you're also looking forward to the other things that you're doing. So different challenges, it's a different way to challenge yourself. So I think anytime that there's growth, it's a good thing, you know, and it can only benefit your running. Yeah. 
And because if you're, you know, I have to acknowledge, if I'm running six times a week, a couple of those runs every week, I'm probably not getting huge value out of them, you know, if, if I'm not doing yeah. something intense. And if, if I take that out and put something else in, like a like a nice bike ride or or playing a game of tennis or something, you know, like that, or going to a class at the gym, whatever, I'm probably going to get as much or more of a fitness benefit out of that than I do out of just one more run. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you know, and sometimes it's the fitness benefits, not the important part, right? Really, it is that mental aspect. It's It's just getting out of that you know, conformed space that we create, because that's what we do as humans, you know, we start laying down patterns and, and yeah. stick to them and, and whatnot. Now, if you were training for the Olympic Games, obviously, you know, you're going to be doing a, a very, you're, you're, you're extremely strict, whatever you're training for, Olympic Games or your your first 5K, coming up to it, of course, you're going to be focusing and dialing more on the run, but you're not racing every single weekend. So, you know, it's it, you can spread your wings a bit and, and try different things, you know? Absolutely. That's great advice, Ray. Listen, let's uh, run through what's coming up on the show this week. We're going to talk to a couple of elite runners. Krista Duchesne is going to join us a little bit later in the show. Melissa Bishop, who won gold at the Pan Am Games last year and is off to a good start this year. We're also going to talk to Coach and the general manager of Ottawa Fit, Jordy McConnell, just ahead. Ray, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll chat next week. And coming up next, Jordy McConnell will talk about how he's battling some injuries right now, but also how you can learn from that and the whole mental aspect of running, how running actually helps to rewire your brain. We'll tell you more about that just ahead. We'll be right back. The iRun Podcast is powered by Booster Juice, a juice and smoothie bar dedicated to providing you with the premium smoothie experience. Stop in today and grab a smoothie and a bite to eat. For a location near you, visit BoosterJuice.com. Now let's get back to the I Run podcast. Welcome back. Our first guest this week is Jordy McConnell, who's been on the show many times. He's the general manager of Ottawa Fit, which includes the Ottawa Running Club. Hello, Jordy. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I am uh, pretty good, all but, things considered. But you're injured, I understand. I'm injured, yeah. Yeah, what's going on? Well, you know, I always like to remind myself it's not about uh, what I'm unable to do, but what I'm able to do. And I'm able to do some strength training, and I'm able to do some swimming, and I am uh, really enjoying those uh, those pastimes. I am, however, unable to run right now. Uh, I was hoping that I, I thought maybe my body was ready, and I went out and I did three one-minute intervals with my Learn to Run group, and uh, it was torture. <laughs> so Wow. So I, what's your I, injury? Well, you know, somewhere between high jump hurdles and half iron, I've done something to what we believe is my, it's, it's low back hip. We're not sure. Um, I'm working with a great athletic therapist who is helping, helping, helping me considerably. Um, but, uh, you know, as a, as a coach, and I'm sure many runners out there that have an interest in physiology, they share this sort of same, um, uh, dichotomy where on one side there is you know it's disappointing and and uh, emotionally challenging but on an objective side it's fascinating to try to determine ca- causation and uh, to manage treatment and uh, i just wish it was on another body not mine right yeah so you're learning a lot along the way i guess but uh, <laughs> exactly. but uh, it's a lesson you uh, would rather not have to be having exactly yeah. but you know what like we say we're uh, there, there's a lot we can do, and uh, I think it's important as, as athletes that 
we have, um, you know, we always maintain, if not a steady balance, a potential, a potential for uh, a change of balance in our lives. Because if if running is our only stress relief, it's our if it's all we do, and it's taken away from us, and certainly the injury risk is high, is, is higher than most um, recreational activities. We need something to fall back on. So right. I feel very fortunate to um, to have lots to fall back on. Yeah. Uh, me, not so much. So <laughs> I'm just lucky. I mean, I would switch, I guess. I'd do more cycling and I would do more swimming, but most of the time all I'm doing is running, and that's that's just the way it's worked out. It's what I have time for and what I like and enjoy. So, yeah. yeah but you have those. You have the swimming and you have yep. the cycling there. You, you, you have them on the shelf. Uh, I think that's what everybody needs. Yeah. We, we, do, we do what we enjoy most and we get the most fulfillment out of, um, but... Uh, uh, we definitely need those backups. But that's got to feel that that thing of thinking, okay, maybe I'm ready to run again, and then you go out and you run for one minute, and it's painful. That's <laughs> that's heartbreaking. Well, it was honestly, it was, I won't say it was heartbreaking. It was, it was honestly, it was more fascinating. Like I, I thought uh, I'm strong, but it's just um, it shows the the complexity of the human body, especially when it comes to the the uh, the hip and, and back area. And yeah. you know what? I'm 50 years old, Mark. And, and, you know, last year, like, like I, you know, I did track and field. I did a half iron, um, you know, pretty lucky at 50 to, to have the record I have. And this is, this is probably the, the biggest injury layoff, relatively speaking, I've ever had, uh, which is a damn, a damn good record in 50 years. So Yeah, good for you. Is water running one of the options here going forward? Because I keep thinking back to that time that I saw you doing the water running. When I was actually there for a swim and you were injured at the time, this is going back like seven or eight, well, geez, might even be 10 years, <laughs> That uh, and you were doing this water running. And I remember you and I have had a couple of conversations about that since then, thinking, wow, I hope I never have to do this. Because you were basically running back and forth in the pool. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's not an option for me quite yet. Uh, because okay. the problem is in the hip, so uh, I am uh, I am swimming, which is uh, enjoyable, but uh, one takes in much less fascinating uh, observational uh, content. Because of course, as I've highlighted with you before, uh, as a water runner, your head is above the surface at all times, and you're able to watch the reality TV show that is the public swimming pool. Right. Yeah, and and so you've got water running to look forward to then. Yes, yes, that's uh, <laughs> that's quite a quite a goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got to dream big. You got to dream big. So uh, one of the other topics that uh, that I, I would be great to explore with you. You've been telling me a little bit about what running does for your brain and and how it teaches us resilience and uh, and so this is an area that you've really become fascinated with. Yeah, you know, we're, um, we're so blessed in Ottawa um, to have the Heart Institute. Everybody's familiar with the Heart Institute. Um, but what fewer people are, are aware of is the Brain and Mind Institute. This was set up just in the last few years, uh, a, um, a, a building cooperative ties amongst all of the hospitals and different researchers, studying everything to do with the brain and mind and uh, its incredible capacity for neuroplasticity. Uh, it's, it's ability neuroplasticity. To, neuroplasticity. So it, it's its ability to to adapt, learn, and rewire itself given the right training and stimulation. And this 
think Brain and Mind Institute, Mark, is is dealing with uh, as, um, such diverse areas as uh, and under their under their auspices as uh, mental illness, Parkinson's disease, and stroke recovery. Uh, but it it comes all the way into exercise as well. As you know, as as a as a runner, um, when we go out for a run, uh, especially say a tempo run, one of the the great goals of a tempo run is is there's physiological benefits, but one of the greatest benefits, and some people some people feel the greatest benefit is actually a neural uh, a neural benefit, and that is that it teaches our brain that running at a harder capacity at a harder level of exertion is normal. The brain reacts quite defensively under effort initially. So if you're out there and you start to run fast for the first time in years, your, your body, your brain reacts with alarm and it will raise your perceived exertion uh, as, an, um, as a, a defense to slow you down, to warn you that this is weird, something, something bad may be happening. And uh, what happens though is the more tempo runs you do, it resets what is normal, and it allows the brain to accept a higher exertion level. And this, this neuroplasticity, this ability to rewire the brain, you know, this, this, it's amazing things that are happening with um, stroke recovery, for example, uh, and Parkinson's. There are Parkinson's, um, individuals in Ottawa that have Parkinson's that are doing spin classes, and in the spring, they do the lap, the gats. Um, and this is all through the incredible treatments that they're receiving in conjunction with the Brain and Mind Institute. Very cool. So effectively, you're rewiring the brain when you, when you do something tough, including running. You're rewiring the brain to, to basically accommodate for this new level of toughness, which means you're, you're set up to do other difficult things. Exactly. And, you know, the, the non-runner who just starts, um, if they jog slowly, and even if they're talking, even, if their perceived exertion is relatively low, um, they will perceive that, that, that as hard. It was a hard thing to do. But what is hard? Their perceived exertion is low. It's, it's, more that it's not as much that it was hard as it was unusual for them. So even at a lower exertion level, it's the uh, uh, right. cardiovascular or respiratory exertion level. But um, you, you think about um, just fatigue. Think about the, the final, that, that uh, magical world of the final, final 10K of a marathon. And just think about how, how hard your brain is working to keep you going. Yeah. And the resilience. So all of that wiring, when you face challenges in your day-to-day life, um, everybody thinks, well, you have the confidence. You, you have the, the self-confidence that comes from knowing you've done a marathon. If you've done a marathon, you're more capable to face. Why are you more capable? Because you've rewired your brain and you've built resilience. So, um, so there's actually you, when, a physical aspect to this, not just a, a mental aspect of, uh, of confidence and saying, well, mm-hmm. I'm telling myself, you know what? If I did that, I can do this. There actually is there actually is a physiological component to it. Exactly, exactly, wow. and and that's why one of the most fascinating areas that you know the 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 study is I, I think relatively nascent 
is with mental illness. And, you know, it's a, it's a chemical. There, there's chemicals and neural uh, factors going on in, in the brain that are um, helping to facilitate mental illness. And um, scientists are discovering means of, of, of helping to um, stimulate uh, the brain to accommodate and to work around and help to lessen the effects of mental illness. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing world. So when, you know, when we're out there, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of um, garments and, uh, and uh, wearables, as they're called now. Um, they have, their, they have their, their role in running, for sure. But, you know, when runners get out there, um, they need to leave the, the watch behind sometimes and do one of two things. They need to be alone in their brain just to breathe and listen to their breathing and relax and think and think about what their body's doing and the feedback from their body. Um, or they need to talk, to talk to the person beside them and socialize. Um, all of these things help to help our, our sense of wellness, help our, our emotional well-being. And uh, all of these things together uh, place running as one of the, the best things that we can do, not only for our physical wellness, but our psychological wellness as well. Great advice, Jordy. Very interesting stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mark. Jordy McConnell, General Manager of Ottawa Fit, which includes the Ottawa Running Club. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a couple of elite runners. First, Melissa Bishop, and later, Krista Duchesne. We'll be right back. You're listening to the iRun Podcast, powered by Booster Juice, a juice and smoothie bar dedicated to providing you with the premium smoothie experience. Stop in today and grab a smoothie and a bite to eat. For a location near you, visit BoosterJuice.com. Welcome back. Our next guest is Melissa Bishop, who, of course, won gold for Canada at the Pan Am Games in Toronto last year. She won silver at the World Championships in the 800 meters, and uh, she's just been having a great run lately. She's working her way towards perhaps qualifying for the Olympics once again. She represented Canada in 2012, hoping to go back in 2016. And uh, I read an interesting article recently about her relationship with her coach, Dennis Farrell. And uh, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But first, let's welcome Melissa to the show. Melissa, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. So uh, how's the training going these days? Training is going uh, relatively well. We just got back from Miami um, we were there for two weeks uh, for a warm weather training camp, um, and now we're back home in Windsor, but we're heading over to Europe in a few weeks for a few more races. So what races are you planning to do? We're going to Athlon in Ireland on the 17th, and then to the Glasgow uh, Indoor Grand Prix on the 20th. And you had a great result earlier this month, or, or actually last month now, uh, mm-hmm. in in an indoor meet when you uh, when you finished really far ahead of everybody else and it was your yeah. fastest time on that kind of track right yeah so the meet was in greensboro um well actually winston-salem at the camel city um jdl fast track and um it was a really really fun meet it was my opener of an 800 indoors so it was um it was nice just to get out there and, and test the fitness yeah and uh, the test went well <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> it did you go passed. well yeah you passed yes yeah. i passed yeah uh, so d- tell me what your training is like these days. What kind of running are you doing? Um, well, we're still, um, like we're just coming off base season, still a little bit in base season. So the mileage and the volume is still relatively high compared to what we would do, um, 
you know, in peak racing season. But Dennis and I don't do a lot of mileage. We found out very early on in my career that it's not something that my body holds up well to. So, um, you know, we're not big mileage person. I don't even count mileage, so I couldn't even tell you how many kilometers I run a week. But um, it's 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 working for us. So we're still in the in the heavy season, I would say. Okay. So what what does a typical week look like, though? What kind of running are you doing? Because we often talk, of course, to uh, to to longer distance runners, and they're doing big big mileage, and they're running. Some of them are running twenty or thirty kilometers a day. These elite mm-hmm. runners. But mm-hmm. you're not you're not a long distance runner. So what kind of of training do you do that would differentiate you from somebody who's training for a half marathon or a marathon? Well, our intervals and our and our our long runs or recovery runs would be much shorter, just simply because it doesn't transfer well to the track for myself. I'm speaking sure. um, for myself because I, I, my workout doesn't work for everybody else who runs 800 or who runs a marathon, right? So um, my longest run would probably be about. 9k 10k at the very most and that's where we'll cap off at and during the week um you know my runs are only about 30 minutes um and then three two times a week we'll do some interval work um nothing really over 600 meters but um, a combination of things to equal an, an amount of volume on the track okay and then uh, obviously you're doing other things to support your training right so there there's there's more than just the running Oh, yes. I mean, there's, um, you know, like we, we lift and we do a lot of core work and we do some plyos and coupled with all that, I mean, you have to account into the, all that is the recovery and the massage and the physio and taking care of your body. When you get to this level, you you have to, um, you have to treat your body like it's your car, it's your machine, it's your tool. So it has to be in in the best shape possible almost every day so that you can get the most out of it. And how much of an adjustment has that been for you? Uh, because it's different for everyone. So, mm-hmm. so how do you uh, to get to that point where you're? Uh, I've talked to other athletes who talk about how they're they're always thinking about what they're eating and when they're next going to mm-hmm. sleep and what kind of rest they're going to get because all of those things are elements as well. Uh, to, to be thinking of your body that way, how is it? How much of an adjustment has it been? Well, when I first started this. Um, you know, I, I, I took the year to train full-time in 2011, 2012, prior to making the Olympic team. And I think that was the biggest adjustment for me, getting used to um, having the time to really focus on training and recovery and sleeping and eating right. So that that year, the first two years, was, was more the adjustment period. Now um, it's it's second nature to me. You know, I, I, get in such, I get in a routine and it's just, it's no longer... It's my day-to-day work, I guess. It's my work schedule, if you want to put it like that. Um, it's, it took me a while to adjust to it, probably two years, but now I, I know what my body needs and I know what kind of rest it needs. I know how many hours I need a night. I know that you know after some workouts I need a nap, and that's okay because this is my job. This is what we have to do. Yeah. And and that's the way you have to look at it, right? It is sure, it's yeah. work, right? <laughs> that's right. It yeah. is work. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what goals do you have this year? What are you, what are you working towards when you go to these races over the course of the next month in Europe? Right now for Dennis and I, last year we were hung up on the sidelines. I was on my couch this time last year recovering from my sports hernia. And, um, so anything above and beyond what I did last year is, is really a step in the right direction for us. We weren't training for all of January, February, into March we're just starting to get into again so 
anything I do right now is a bonus on top of on top of what I have done last year. And beyond that, uh, what are you what are you thinking ahead to in 2016? After such a, I mean, you talk about how you were on the couch right now, and yet you ended up having a great 2015. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think a lot of that is due to the work that Dennis and I have put in year after year after year, and I've been so lucky to be injury free up until last year that it's just been really good quality, healthy training, smart training, and it's you kind of look at it as, it, um, as some building blocks and you just, you keep building years on top of the other and just be, you just get stronger and, and faster. And I, I give full credit to Dennis for building a program like that, that we can just build on every year. And I, I probably got through last year as, as well as it did because um, we, we had done so much great training in the past few years and um, looking ahead to this year, I mean, Olympics is certainly um, the top of my list. Uh, so we'll just we'll keep training for that and 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 get ready to go. It's a big year. Yeah, and and when when will you know if you're if you're going to the Olympics or not? Not until after our our championship, our Canadian championships in Edmonton, which are beginning of July weekend. We won't know for sure. I have to I have to qualify there. Right, and so I mean that's it's amazing how. Uh, here we are, the Olympics, are the countdown is on, and uh, it's really just uh, seven or eight months away, but you don't find out until about a month before, maybe a little bit longer, whether you're going or not. Yeah, it, you know what? To be really honest, I, I don't know it any differently. This is how it was in 2012, and um, I don't suspect it would be any different yeah. in the years to come either, especially for track and field. It's like this throughout all track and field um, governing bodies, even in the States, it's like this too, so... I mean, if I knew any different, it, it might be a little <laughs> stressful, but I, I don't know any different. So yeah. this is, you just come to, you just roll with it, right? Yeah. So you keep mentioning Dennis, your coach. Mm-hmm. So yeah. talk about that relationship a little bit, because uh, because obviously it's a big part of your success. Yeah. Dennis is the backbone of my program. Dennis is, um, Dennis is the smartest man <laughs> that I have ever met. He has been such a major part of my career and you know we've been together for probably nine years now and you know it takes time to develop an athlete coach relationship and I ran through I ran under him in in university and we kind of you know worked our way out of university onto the professional scene and I think we've both um you know it was a learning curve for both of us but I think we adjusted pretty well and he has beaten cancer, and mm-hmm. and uh, he's had some other health issues. And I know uh, you had this moment. I read this story about this moment when you when you won the silver at the world championships in in the eight hundred meters, and and you you had this big hug, right? Mm-hmm. Dennis is a very strong man, and he has always um, he's always been at the forefront of my program. And so when I won the silver medal. Um, it was just as much excitement for me as it was for him because this is a program that he's developed and spent a lot of time learning how to coach an 800 meter runner. And so for him, it was—I know it was just exciting for him as it was for me. And the other big moment you had in 2015, of course, was winning gold at the Pan Am Games. Uh, yeah. des- describe that moment uh, now that you've had some time to reflect on it. Uh, and I mean, I've got to mention that there's a great picture of you. <laughs> Uh, crossing the finish line with this, you know, your arms are in the air and you've just got this great look on your face. Uh, so what was that moment like for you? You know what, even 
now that it's it's in the past and it's in 2015, I still can't really describe that feeling. If someone can, if you can describe that picture, if someone can, you know, look at it, and I think you can see the emotions on my face, how it felt. Um, it's it's really hard to describe these feelings. It's it's something that you work so hard towards, and especially coming off the year that I had had prior to that with injuries, um, it was really kind of. Oh, it was so exciting and so gratifying to kind of like make my mark again and obviously to do it at home with lots of friends and family in the stands and in Canada. Um, everybody is cheering for the Canadian, whether they know you or not. You just automatically become their own, right? Because yeah. you're Canadian. So it was it was something really special to do at home. I, I really, I wish more people could experience running in a stadium in their own country because it's it's such a... Oh, it's such an amazing feeling. Nothing can really compare to that. And not everybody gets it, right? Your your career doesn't always intersect uh, where the peak of your career uh, lines up with with a big event like the Pan Am Games or the Olympics being in your home country, right? That's right. It's it's very hard, especially in a sport, that a, a big event like that would would happen in your home in your home country. So I knew Dennis and I discussed this previously that Pan Am's being in Toronto was a, was a really what we wanted um, on top of other things, obviously, out of 2015. Pan Am's was one of our top goals because it was at home, and it's something that not many get to experience. Something else that not many people get to experience is being on the cover of a magazine, and you were on the cover of iRun. Uh, yeah. what, was, uh, what was that like for you? That was a lot of fun. Uh, we actually did it at home in Eganville, where my parents live, and it's very rural there it's very country and and Darren came up to do the to do the shoot and it was it was just so much fun he completely went above and beyond what I thought was going to happen and it was really cool yeah it's a great shot and it's just it's it's a great it's not probably not where you normally would be running but uh, it's still a great setting right it is a great setting and you know what um on the inside of the the magazine is a picture of me on on a dirt road and that I have run up and down that road so many times as a kid that was that's cool. my training ground. Like that. That's where it actually happened. So it was really cool to see that. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all your success so far, Melissa. And I know this is going to be a great year for you. And there are lots of people here in the Ottawa area in particular, but right across the country who will be watching and cheering you on. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. That is Melissa Bishop, who, of course, won gold at the Pan Am Games in Toronto last year and is going to be competing for a spot to go back to the Olympics this year. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk to another elite Canadian woman. Krista Duchesne is going to join us next. We'll be right back. The iRun Podcast is powered by Booster Juice, a juice and smoothie bar dedicated to providing you with the premium smoothie experience. Stop in today and grab a smoothie and a bite to eat. For a location near you, visit BoosterJuice.com. Now let's get back to the iRun Podcast. Welcome back. Well, we've got another elite runner to talk to on the show this week. We're really thrilled to have joining us once again, Krista Duchesne. Krista, welcome back. Thanks for coming on the show this week. Always glad to be on. So let's start with what you wrote in the latest issue of iRun Magazine, because I thought it was really sweet and touching. You wrote a letter to your daughter, and you talked about your own background, and you talked a little bit about uh, the ways in which uh, the experiences your daughter is going through are different from your son's. And, and I just thought it was very touching. So what were you trying to say to your daughter in that letter? Well, I think it was more or less saying, 
me realizing that I'm a huge role model for her. Um, obviously, I am for the boys and, and the dad, their dad, uh, my husband, is, is a role model for them. But, you know, I noticed at quite a young age how much Leah really watched things that I did. You know, I'm standing in front of the mirror brushing my teeth, she's brushing her teeth, and she's watching me and mimicking everything I do. So I knew it's it's a big responsibility and something that I, I take, you know, with, with pride and something that I, I want um, to be special for her. So, yeah, you know, I think I, think I wrote in the article that um, some people said, oh, your first girl, you know, she's going to rule the house. And both my husband and I thought, no, I don't. I don't like the sounds of that. So, because you know, you'd already had two boys at this point, right? That's right. So and the other wanted, thing, the other thing you mentioned is you didn't find out the gender in any of your pregnancies. So it was a surprise after two boys when you had a girl, right? Right. So everything was different, and it was good to go along with that and and appreciate the differences. Yeah, but and yet not treat her like she's this special princess and gets all these advantages over her brothers just because she's a girl. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that connection with the mom and the connection that a boy has with the dad, uh, we see that in our household. We have a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl in our household, and we've done nothing to encourage that, and yet that's the way it's played out. And I know, for example, my daughter, she's four, she is heartbroken when my wife leaves the house, and she couldn't care less when I go out. You know, there's just <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about that dynamic, right? Yeah, you know, there are some things that Leah has said where it would never come out of their brother, her brother's mouth, you know. Yeah. For, for kids, a lot of them are used to seeing women wearing tights. That's what has been in style for the last several years. So one day to work, I was just wearing normal pants, and she said, Mom, only boys wear pants. You can't wear pants. You have to wear tights. <laughs> so I explained, you know, back in the day, we wore pants, and uh, she said, Mom, I think people at work will make fun of you. For wearing <laughs> so she- pants. Wow. I came home and she asked me, Mom, did they make fun of you for wearing <laughs> pants? <laughs> yeah. But you know that uh, she's going to have a different experience from your boys in life. And I think you get to that in in your letter to her when you talk about body shape and accepting other people's bodies and staying away from the emphasis on physical appearance and all of that, right? Exactly. You know, I I can't help but look at her and think that she's a a mini-me. And I think back to what life was like when I was young, and my parents didn't say anything about how we looked in terms of our body shapes and sizes. And, you know, it was just wanting to to be healthy and have fun and be active. And so it's great to see that in her. And, you know, the other day I said, you know, Leah, when I was young, I used to race the boys at skating when we have, like, the skating at school and so sure enough, the last few times that I've taken her to this young kid's skate, oh, she's been racing me every time. Right. <laughs> it's uh, I'm quite an influence on her in, in a good way. It's, uh, of yeah. course, yeah. And mm-hmm. my favorite line in the whole column, very near the end, you say, being a professional runner, I'm able to show my children that I appreciate what my body can do rather than focus on what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And And I think that's the... And look, it's still a relatively new thing that long-distance running is a sport for women. And we've talked before about how crazy it is that it was only 1984 when the marathon was part of the Olympics, for example. And Mm -hmm. not so long before that, women weren't even allowed in some of the major marathons in the world. So this is all very new, but it shows what, what athletics does, what the Olympics do, what other major sports events do for women, I think, and for girls, that it allows them to focus on what their bodies can do rather than what they look like. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's it's great to be, you know, to be kind of leading the pathway for that in terms of distance running in Canada. But also, when I played hockey, I started at the age of four, and I used to get dressed in the first aid room on a stretcher because we didn't go in the room with the boys. There right. was just myself and about one or two other girls. And, and that was normal. Like, we'd help up on the stretcher in the first aid room, and our parents would come in and tie our skates, and that's what we knew. And um, so it's neat to see to see those changes um, since then as well. Yeah. And yet, at the same time, when your daughter was three, she still had some of this stuff on her mind, right? Because you said, she, tell, tell me what uh, she actually said to you when you were... You were having lunch with her that time. Yeah, so we were sitting there having lunch, and um, this was before she was in school, and she said, Mom, I don't think you should eat all of that because you might get fat and not fit into a dress and look pretty. And because of my work as a dietitian with, with moms and body image and, and children and size, I didn't even blink. I mean, inside I was thinking, wow, okay, here we go. Um, but I just said, oh, Leah, Mom's not worried about that. I'm active and I eat healthy food. And then yeah. that was it. No more, you know, I didn't go on and on and on about it. And that was it. I mean, a couple of times maybe she said something after that. And certainly she's more attentive to how she looks than her brothers. And, you know, she'll brush her hair in the bathroom um, and forget to brush her teeth. So, you know, those are things that I've had to deal with. Yeah, you want to look nice, but it's important that you brush your teeth first. You know, then you can work on your hair for a few <laughs> minutes. <laughs> well, right on. Again, I thought it was very sweet. And uh, and it's it's great to see the the dynamics of your relationship with her and the impact you're having on her. Um, and uh, I know you're a, mo- a role model to lots of runners, but uh, you're much, much more so to the little girl in your life who you're seeing mm-hmm. every single day, right? So Yeah, it's uh, special. Yeah, for sure. So how's the running been going lately? I know you've, you've had a couple of races uh, that have, have gone well, and of course you, uh, uh, you were, uh, was in uh, Texas that you ran a, uh, recently, right? Right. So after I broke my foot in August, I focused on the cross training and I really developed a a strong foundation, a really good base with strength, um, pool running and swimming and and cycling and and the elliptical and and getting more into the weights. So I had a really good foundation there and then just started slowly building the mileage. I did the Tannenbaum 10K and the Boxing Day 10 miler in December, you know, not fast times, but strong runs where I felt good, you know, in the beginning and in the end. And then I headed to Houston to do the half marathon uh, two weeks ago. And that went well. I figured I was about the pace that I ran. So I ran according to my fitness. And that's kind of the way it is for me. There's really no surprises. I don't really run much slower or much faster than what my body's capable of doing. So so that was good. I felt, again, you know, the last kilometer felt the same as the first. So that's a good sign that I wasn't, you know, dying in the end. And, I, you know, the goal now is just to continue um, keeping my strength and, and building my speed and, and staying healthy as I move on month to month. And you still have the second best qualifying time for the Canadian Olympic team for the marathon, right? That's right. So you're so far so good on that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you wait to see what happens. Uh, but you're going to try to get to the World Half Marathon Championships if you can? Well, that's kind of a secondary goal. It's been kind of uh, something, um, you know, to think of in terms of me progressing with my fitness, you know, kind of uh, a sub-goal in terms of Rio being the the major goal. So if I make the team, great. I'm going to have to run a pretty fast half marathon to make the team because, I mean, there's a lot of fast women in Canada right now running half marathons as well as the men. So, you know, if it happens, great. I've got the Vancouver first half 
I'm going to do in the middle of February, and then I'll do the chili half, which is just local in the beginning of March. And, you know, I think my fitness will be the best um, in March, but it's going to depend on the weather. If it's snowy and the footing's poor, then there's not the greatest chance of, of hitting a, a fast time that day. So if I, I, I run fast enough, great, but we're not going to take any risks at all. It's not like we're going to ramp up the mileage and the intensity just to make a, a low 72 to make the team. Right. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and if it happens, it happens. Um, otherwise, I'll run the bay, and that's, that's a phenomenal um, you know, backup plan to that. So I've got two really good options for the spring. And, um, you know, the bay is so close to me being in Hamilton that I can leave home in the morning and I'm back, you know, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So no travel required. And do you plan a marathon this spring or are you just going to wait and see what happens and stick with your qualifying time for the Olympics? And then, and then if, if it's one of the best three times, then you're going to Rio. Well, I think what we're going to do is, is just wait. Um, obviously, I've, I've got a, a decent base, enough that if I had to run a marathon maybe in May, if, if two women beat my time in April, then, you know, we'd ramp up the mileage and, and try to do it in May. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a risk that you have to take. As a marathoner, you can only do two good, high-quality marathons a year. So, you know, I'd have to make sure that I could beat their time in order to make the team. Um, but sometimes you just have to kind of sit back and wait to see what happens and, and hope that you maintain the spot that you're in. Yeah, so if if you just are able to watch and see what happens and nobody beats your time, then would you hold off and not run a marathon until Rio? That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about this, this sport of long-distance running, what you just said about how you cannot run three or four or five really strong marathons in the course of a year. It's unlike any other distance that way. You can't just go out a few weeks later and and try again. You really have to strategize, right? Right. I mean, it's not a sport where you can have and do it all. And uh, I'm not sure if you read Reed Coolsat's recent um, article where he spoke about, you know, he's he's chased the Canadian record his whole marathon career, and he came so close and, um, you know, now he had to choose between going after the record again in, in a major marathon anywhere in the world, like he tried it in Berlin, or choose the Olympics. And with the Olympics being in the summer, that kind of blows your chance of doing a spring or a fall marathon, right? Yeah. Um, because it's it's so close. So I think his goal is to run the half uh, marathon championships and do well there and then... Uh, do the Olympics, but it's a tough choice. I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that you have to take into consideration when you can only do two good quality ones a year. I mean, of course, there's athletes that do more than two, um, but you have to also take into account that it increases your chance of injury and, and whatnot when you're, you know, still trying to recover from a marathon and then you try to start training for another one right yeah. away. Congratulations on everything you've done and uh, good luck with your training in the weeks ahead and our fingers are crossed for you for Rio and we'll be chatting again soon. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. That is Krista Duchesne who is hoping, fingers crossed, that she has booked her ticket to the Olympic Games in Rio in the marathon. Wouldn't that be something? That's it for our show this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Ray and I will be back to talk running again next week. We'll talk to you then. Have a great week.